0: slash James NetSuite.com slash James This isn't your average business podcast and he's not your average host This is the James Altucher Show Hey there Welcome to the first Instagram Live in a while and When I started doing these Instagram Lives pretty much every day, almost a year ago, and then I would turn them into podcasts, part of the reason we were doing these was because there was so much misinformation in the news about the virus, so much misinformation in the news about the economy. Don't forget, media makes money by selling fear. They don't sell you news, they sell you fear. And we're happy as a population, to pay for fear. Oh, the New York whatever costs a dollar twenty-five, and I get a good, healthy dose of fear. Count me in. i um, here's my dollar twenty-five. Sell me as much beer as possible. So we're doing these Instagram lives and these podcasts and these Q and A's every day because people reasonably had questions. Oh my gosh, this newspaper just said there's going to be a hundred forty million deaths worldwide. What's going to happen? And It was all BS news, it was just to scare you. And I have had the benefit of having so many great scientists, epidemiologists, investors, economists, you know, presidential advisors, Federal Reserve people, you know, businessmen, sports figures. On my podcast, I'm able to ask, is this true? Is this not true? Plus we've had our own experiences. So uh, Robin, how's it feel to do the first Instagram live since I want to say like august you think it's been that long it's been that long yeah we were doing that it was hard work it was it was really a lot of work because we do these because we love doing them there's really no other reason and and people would send me emails every day saying how much they really benefited from them and now so what's happening now why do them now because you always have to ask this question who are you what are you and why now so why? I'll start with the why now. Right now, everything's in flux. The coronavirus is like, I don't want to say it's stable, but there's a vaccine. There are new strains. There are more questions. But we're starting to learn that 140 million people are not going to die. And we're also starting to see the after effects of locking down the economy. A new stimulus bill was just passed. And here's what I'm noticing. Everybody is... Investing. Everybody, everybody from begin from every end of the income spectrum is buying stocks right now. We just saw the GameStop, AMC thing. Where a group of kids on Reddit pushed GameStop up from three dollars a share to over three hundred dollars a share, and and now it's up to two hundred again. You know that's something. Yeah. Do you own? Did you buy any GameStop during that? Not only
1: in the beginning. And did, you,
0: did you buy it at three and sell it three hundred, yeah, and you hid all the cheap. money for me in case I, of a divorce? No. What? I
1: did. I didn't sell it.
0: Um, so I want to kind of explain what happened there and what's happening in a couple other things. Robin is also an investor, an investor who I admire, but I have told her this in her face: is that she makes good decisions and she also makes bad decisions. I've been a professional investor. The why now is. The world is changing economically, and we're at the inning number one of that. And everybody's getting involved. Everybody, for the, for the biggest since 1999, I'm seeing more retail investors in the market than ever before. Everybody, I'll take a taxi cab. The cab driver will say, what about, what stocks do you like? I'll get a haircut. My barber will say, oh, what stocks should I buy? So every, I've never had this happen, even in 1999. It's more than 1999. I don't know why people ask me they look at me and say this guy looks freaky enough he must be good at stocks or something i don't know because a lot of the, like homeless people in the street will just stop me and say hey can you tell me what stocks to buy i'm not even kidding about that but robin buys stocks sells stocks i usually don't keep track of what she's doing when i do she has a very particular style but that'll ask her some basic questions and i realize there are some things she knows very well and other things she doesn't know at all so i figured Given that so many people are, are interested and also scared about what's going on in the economy and the stock market, the stock market's gone down for a few days in a row now. What are some basic things you should know if you're getting involved in investing? And also, what are some basic things you should understand if you're worried about this economy right now? And because there, there's a lot, are we gonna have inflation? Is what's going on with crypto? What's gonna, how many businesses are going out of business? Why is the stock market going up if businesses are going out of business? And also, by the way, I'll ask question. I'll answer questions about anything. So ask questions. Ask any question you want. So, Robin, first off, you're the basic retail investor, and we, are, and I, and that's not an insult. That's a good thing, and you've done very well. Uh, and I'll comment on what I think of your style. But, but what is your basic approach to investing? What's an example? And then I'm going to freely tell you what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly, and you can pay attention to me or not. I've been a professional investor for 20 years, which means I'm just as useless as anyone else. We just saw the professionals got dismantled during this GameStop thing. So you don't have to listen to me, but I will have a different stance than, than Robin on this. And we'll also talk about the economy and the connection to the stock market and answer questions. So with that big intro, what's an example of stock you own and what's your style? Hi, Rosemary, who, who just stopped to visit us who's also an investor. Uh, um,
1: okay, so I only buy stocks that I, th- things that I, I like, like I or believe in. So I like EVs, you know, electric vehicles, um, I think.
0: EVs, I like how you're just casually like, oh, EV. <laughs> I'm gonna use the acronym. I drive an EV, a luxury um, EV. Um, I would have buy a Tesla if you paid me. All right, go ahead.
1: And so I was really, I got in with CCIV, very early um, because, well, not that it, because they, they uh, took Lucid, but because I believed in, you know, uh, the
0: guy, what's his name? Chima. Yeah. So, so okay. No, no, it's not Chamath. Oh, oh no, Michael Klein, Michael, yeah, Michael Klein. Klein. So, okay, so CCIV is what's called a SPAC. I could describe that at some point, but hold on. So, so the purpose of a SPAC, it's called a special purpose acquisition company. That's not important. They basically go IP, they IPO, they go public on the stock exchange, and they have no business, but they have cash. So let's say they have a billion dollars of cash. So
1: blank check
0: They're a blank check company. Okay. Thank you Rosemary. They're a blank check company. And what that means is they have cash and they can just write a blank check. So what they will do is they will buy a legit company, and the legit company will take over 95 percent of this fact, will change its name to the so like Virgin Galactic went public through a spec. Virgin Galactic, started by Richard Branson, sends people into space. And by the way, you said you wanted to do space tourism, you would love to go Mm -hmm. into space. I'll go with you only because I love you. But if we're in space and the commander says, hey, I think we better investigate that distress signal, I'm going to create a big fucking scene if if we decide to investigate that. That's the way people die in science fiction movies is they investigate a random distress signal coming from that asteroid belt. (laughs) I am not investigating it. We're just doing a little trip around the planet and coming back if such a thing exists. But Virgin Galactic uh, went public by merging into a SPAC, taking their money, changing the name of the SPAC to Virgin Galactic, and that's how many companies are going public. And by the way, there's something a little deeper going on here that's important to know. The reason this is getting so popular is because there's a a war right now between Silicon Valley and Wall Street. Silicon Valley hates, with a passion, Wall Street. They think Wall Streeters are stupid and are just after fees, and they're correct. And Silicon Valley people in general are trying to innovate. They're they're trying to innovate. They claim it's not about the money, but let's not give them too much credit. They're pretty happy when they make a billion dollars off of like, some new text messaging app. But in general, they don't like how Wall Street takes such big fees and takes advantage of Silicon Valley. So SPACs are a way they get to take companies public on their own terms. So a good strategy with these SPACs, well, I'll go into strategies later, but you were involved in a SPAC, you, you invested in a SPAC, CCIV, mm-hmm. Churchill Capital Number 4, and they were, the rumors were, they were buying a company called Lucid Motors, which is a valid competitor to Tesla, which is not easy to say. Tesla makes a great car. I wouldn't invest in the stock, it's too high, and it's a little bit weird, but uh, Lucid, uh, it, what's the advantage of Lucid over Tesla? Like, why are you so excited about Lucid? Uh,
1: well, I, actually the battery is amazing. I think you can go, what, 577 miles uh, with just one charge. And what's the
0: Tesla battery,
1: um, by comparison? roughly it doesn't i don't know i think it's it's like 300 or 400
0: 300 or 400 miles you'll have to talk loud with the sound in the background
1: yeah um i'm not quite sure but i do know that that's the best battery out there right now lucid's battery yeah and it is a battery company
0: and why do you like electric vehicles like do you see that everybody will eventually be driving an electric vehicle so Rosemary's nodding her head, yes? yes Do you think? Yeah,
1: it's the future. Yeah, it is, is the,
0: future. the future. Why, like why not gas powered vehicles?
1: Well, I mean, it's just environmental uh, reasons and I think it's just, uh, it's just better for the environment, really. So.
0: And also it's, it doesn't make any noise when it drives. Like I find like driving an electric vehicle, by the way, I don't even have a driver's license. <laughs> I am legally not allowed to drive in New York, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. I haven't yet found out about Florida. She wants me to get a license, there's no way. Nine out of 10 drivers think they're above average drivers, which is impossible. Only four out of 10 can be above average. I am the one out of 10 who knows I am a below average driver. You will die if I am on the road. Someone out there will die if I am on the road with a car. So I'm not getting a license. But, um, so you like Lucid Motors. And there was a big rumor that CCIV, the SPAC was gonna buy Lucid Motors. And you looked at Tesla, which was like, what's the price of Tesla, around a thousand? No, No, it's
1: like six, it's six, six almost seven,
0: right. yeah. Six oh eight. no, I, I was making such a mistake, it's 600, not a thousand. It
1: got to 900. Got to
0: 900, yeah. got to 900. So all right. Weeks ago. Yeah. A few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, oh, okay, yeah. so I was close, right? I don't follow, here's the other key thing about the stock market is you shouldn't follow it every day. The point is to make money while you sleep, not reload all the time. But, uh, unless you're a day trader, which you shouldn't be. Yeah. But, um, so you yeah. like, Lucid, and you saw Tesla's at 600, 700, whatever it was, right. and you figured, okay, well, if, Te- if Lucid is a going to be a competitor to Tesla, it also might get to 600. Was that part of your thinking?
1: Well, eventually it will. I mean, it's just they, they haven't uh, put a car out yet, so I think they're going to start in the, the
0: spring. And so typically a spec is priced at $10, originally CCIV was $10. But during this rumor craze, oh, will they buy Lucid? Will, will they not buy Lucid? It went all the way up to almost $60, yeah, right? 62 or something.
1: 62.
0: That's amazing. I don't think a SPAC in history know, has ever done crazy. that. Because they have $10 per share worth of cash. And there's no business. Right. So they should always stay around $10. And um, so you That's did well with it. You sold some shares along the way up. And then you held some on the way down. It's back, but you're still fine. It's down yep. to like 24, I think, right. which is which is pretty good. They did, in fact, announce the merger with Lucid. Right. So all the, so surprisingly, this is very unusual on Wall Street. Is that the rumors were correct, which means there was some inside information that got around that somehow nobody is prosecuting and it's fine. <laughs> but here's the thing: um, there's a there's an important saying on Wall Street: buy the rumor sell the news. And so while the rumors were happening, more and more people were hearing the rumor. So here's what actually happens when it's, why does buy the rumor, sell the news work? And this is an important Wall Street slash investing lesson. While the rumors are happening, more and more people are hearing about the stock for the very first time. Maybe nobody ever heard of Lucid or maybe nobody ever heard of CCIV, but their neighbor calls, hey, did you hear the rumor? CCIV might buy this Lucid Motors which could be a competitor to Tesla. So more people hear about it. During the rumor phase, more people buy it. But then by the time the news comes out, everybody is already in it who's possibly gonna be interested in this. So there's no new people to buy the stock once the news comes out. So that's why buy the rumor, sell the news works. Like right when the news happens, even before the news happens, you should try, I think, and I could be wrong, it doesn't work in every case. You should try to sell. So Bernard Baruch is a famous investor from the early 1900s. There's a college named after him in New York City. He was a scumbag like everyone else. He did, this was when insider trading was legal. So he would find, that he would get a, a, a telegraph what the price of gold was in London and what the price of gold was in New York. And they would often be different because not that many people had telegraphs. And he would all day long, trade gold in New York versus gold in London. And that he made over a hundred million dollars. He died. John D. Rockefeller said, huh, a hundred million dollars. I thought he was rich, but Bernard Baruch said, I always bought too early and sold too soon. And yeah, he made a hundred million dollars. So that's also a valuable lesson. Um, don't be afraid to, don't try to buy at the low or sell at the high. You will mess up if you try to do that. So as an example, like take Bitcoin, and I'll get back to the CCIV in a second. I have no investing strategy with Bitcoin. I simply buy a little more every month, and I tell the person who buys for me, I don't care if it's going up, I don't care if it's going down, I don't care what the price is. I'm not trying to game it. I just want a little bit more Bitcoin in my portfolio. But CCIV, I do. What did happen when the news happened? Because I wasn't following it every day like you were. When the news happened, what happened that day? What did it go? From went, what price to what price, roughly? Uh, uh, 70, it went,
1: uh, yeah, away, to, 70 to, to, it went down like
0: 35%. Right. So the day the news came out, the, the, the stock basically went from, let's call it 70 to roughly... Um, 30 something. Mm-hmm. Like in the 40s and now it's in the 20s. Mm-hmm. So basically, when the rumor was happening, it went from 10 to 60, it went up 500%, and then it caved in half, it caved in by 70% actually, going all the way from 70 to 24 now after the news. So I, I, so a couple comments, here's the good. And and we'll talk about a couple different stocks, but these are all basic lessons. And and I'll answer questions too, but this, and this could be just a part one. We have 60 minutes obviously to do this. So basically the good thing is, and this was, Peter Lynch discussed this in a famous book He wrote back in, I think, 1989. He was the manager for Fidelity Magellan, the most successful mutual fund at that time. It was very, very successful. And his whole approach was he would basically watch what his wife bought at the mall and he would buy those stocks. And so, because they really, I don't know what it is, like men don't care about anything. We don't care about quality or what's good or what's bad. But women really do care about buying the best products and they research products more than men do. And um, which is why you're more put together and I'm a mess. And um, I mean, I think this jacket, things are falling off. Like, the, it's like yeah, it's like ripped off because I don't, Yeah. And anyway, you went, you and Rosemary, you went to the dealership in Miami for Lucid Motors. You talked to the guy, you did a ton of research. You did research about Michael Klein, who not only was running the spec but suspiciously, and I think perhaps illegally, was involved in investing in Lucid, and it just so happens they merged together. But um, you were an expert, you researched the management team, you researched Lucid, you knew this stuff about the battery, and I do agree, even if electric vehicles aren't a trend, battery power is a huge exponentially growing a trend, and electric vehicles probably are as well. So you bought what you liked, uh, and that is a great, great strategy so much better than buying stuff just because you hear about it from somebody or you you think it it has good a a good pe ratio which is not as important as people think and blah blah blah. you bought it because you like the company
1: and plus i like i like lucid because not only that it's a great company but i know how the saudis work and they will hire i mean they have a very deep pocket so they are going to hire the best of the best and it's like the best of everything, and it's they're gonna skyrocket.
0: But Be- they're gonna hire better people than Americans will.
1: Uh, well, there probably are Americans that they're hiring, or whoever, anyone in the world. I mean, they're just gonna get the best. And they
0: have everything. essentially infinite money, they have and
1: infinite they're trying to diversify
0: out of oil. So right. which is why they're going into electric vehicles. Okay. And so here's and, the thing.
1: And, and they love the luxury. I mean, you know, the Saudis, the, the Middle East. I mean, the, about. They're so into luxury. So anything that they're going to produce, is going to be amazing.
0: Why wouldn't they? Okay. So let me ask you a question. Why wouldn't they make a big investment in Tesla then? Tesla's arguably a more luxury car than the Lucid Motors car will be.
1: No, I think that they're just, they have a better battery
0: actually. Okay. And they want to make money. So they start their own company using that battery. So, so this is something very important, which is not talked about about at all in investing, but there's something I call the rule of two. So, you didn't have one reason to buy Lucid. You had two or more reasons. Because if one reason doesn't... You want to have more than one story that you like about a company. So you liked the battery story. You liked the electric vehicle story. But you also liked the fact that the the Saudi Arabia, which is trying to... You lived in Kuwait and on the border of Saudi Arabia. So you're very familiar with the culture and, and the decision makers there. You, you knew people very high up because of your... CIA connections and and uh, uh, you, you have three or four stories about why you should buy a stock. The rule of two is very valuable. Let's say you're a writer. so I'm a writer. When I write an article, I use the rule of two. So I try to write an interesting story, but I'll also have maybe unique interesting information. You want to give people two, at least two reasons to, to get into the article and like it and share it. So if they don't like the story, maybe the the interesting information is enough for them to like it and come back to future articles I write. Or maybe I do some funny thing in the article that makes them come back. So you always wanna give people two reasons to to do something that you're engaged in. Or two reasons to buy a stock so that if one story doesn't work out, like let's say they decide to focus on batteries instead of electric vehicles, you still can stay in. Or let's say, you know, with with Apple, I might not like, Apple iPhones, but I do, but I might like the fact that iTunes is the biggest you know, music distributor on the planet. Or Amazon, I might not like a little bookstore run by a little guy named Jeff Bezos, but I might like the fact that they control all the storage, they, they're the biggest storage, cyber storage company in the world. So there's multiple reasons to get into a story. If you don't have the rule of two working for you, I think there's too much risk. And it, this works, by the way, in in investing. It works in writing. And by the way, it works in war. If you only are invading on one front, then the defender can put all their defenses and protect that one front. But if you're invading on two fronts, they can't protect. The way to win any war, and you just look at World War II as a great example, and, and the lack of, of two fronts in Vietnam and Korea. But you look at like World War II, there were many fronts. There was There was, you know, France and Germany. There was North Africa. There was Japan. There was Russia going into Japan. There was us going from the Pacific into Japan. So there was multiple fronts. And it's hard for a smaller country to... They can defend one front, but not two fronts. So this is a very powerful thing to understand. In chess, you could maybe... Maybe somebody's weak on the king, but they could throw all their pieces and defend. But if they're weak on the king and... On the queen side, they can't defend both, and you can attack both. It's harder to defend than to attack. It's better to have the initiative. So you had what I would call the initiative, the rule of two on Lucid. Um, But here's one thing that always bothered me when we would talk. I would ask you, what is the market capitalization? You would say something's expensive if it was $500 a share, and something's cheap if it's $10 a share. And to some extent that's true, but If I asked you, what was the full market capitalization? What is this company worth? Because you're an owner of the company. When you own a share, you should know how much it's worth. Sometimes you wouldn't know the answer because you were just relying on the price is cheap or low. But if you own something, if I own a house, it might be the best house in the world, but if a house is worth a billion dollars, nobody should buy it, it's too expensive. If a house is worth, if a a 5,000 square foot house in New York City is worth $100,000, then that's almost too cheap. You should ask what's wrong with it. So knowing the full value of something is extremely important. And I find a lot of investors, not, not just you, but I find most investors don't take the time, they look at price and they determine if it's cheap based on the price, but they don't look at the market capitalization and determine if it's cheap or good that way. Another technique, which I think you did use on CCIV, and but I only use this technique, is who else is invested in this? Because my mantra every morning is I wake up and say, I'm probably the stupidest person I know. And so if I make a decision, I like to know that there are other smart people who are making this decision alongside of me, people smarter than me. So let's say for, as an example, I look at CCIV and I don't know anything about it. And I'm like, ah, I don't know anything about batteries. What do I know? And then I see, oh my gosh, Warren Buffett is invested in this. What am I going to do? Am I going to say to Warren Buffett, Warren, Warren, what are you doing investing in this? Are you a stupid or something? No, he's the smartest, he's been doing investing for 70 years. He's the smartest investor ever. So I, without any questions asked, I will buy any stock Warren Buffett owns. And I've made my living for the past 13 years from investing, and I'm the only... I learned the only real thing I care about is who else is invested and are they smarter than me? Because if Warren Buffett is invested or if Carl Icahn or Peter Thiel, of all all these people, they do much better research than I do. And they're much more experienced and they're much smarter. So if they make the decision and and I can invest in the same way at the same terms they do, then that's strong consideration for me. If I say to myself, well, I'm glad no one else knows about this stock because for some reason nobody else is invested in it, and I get to invest in it first. You always have to ask, why are you out of six billion people magically getting this chance to invest and not Warren Buffett? Like who wakes up, nobody wakes up and says, I'm gonna make James Altucher rich today. So if someone calls me and says, James, I got this great stock for you, no one's in it. I'm like, why isn't Warren Buffett in it? Ah, he's an idiot, he, he, He's like, but you have the chance to be in it. And then maybe Warren Buffett will go in. It doesn't work that way. That's not the order of things. So you wanna go in the correct order of things. So this this piggyback technique is very valuable, but you notice some smart investors were in CCIV. Like who was in CCIV? A
1: lot of the hedge funds, most of
0: them. A lot of big hedge funds were in it. Mm -hmm. And they're not short-term thinkers, right? So they're not selling on the news. You're right, Lucid Motors probably will be at some point. I think the deal was valued at about $20 billion. And I think Lucid Motors, Tesla, meanwhile, is worth what, like, eight hundred billion. So, if Lucid does become a valid uh, competitor to Tesla, then I think you're right. Whether or not you got nervous, did you get nervous when it went from sixty-eight to twenty-two? Did you get a little upset? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I didn't get upset, but I mean, because I already had skimmed off, you know, my profit or my my base um, investment. But um, it's hard to lose, even if it's just the money that you, you know, collected. From the, from the, the off.
2: yeah <laughs> i could get a little sick. yeah so, so because so, we
1: were so excited like it was it's such an adrenaline rush every day for like i don't know for a long time like but then it, it got old because you're just like uh oh, you know what's gonna happen what's gonna happen so that, yeah I, I
0: couldn't that's the that that one way. thing with buying on the rumors, selling on the news is that if the rumors were false it also would have collapsed and
1: and so like when you when you're investing in specs which is something that i started to do which are pretty cool and something you taught me too is when you do look at specs because there's over 500 of them you know finding a good one and it's you always told me that you look for the management team and the people you know behind it so that's what i've done and it's easy to do that you know if you have to do your due diligence on that
0: I'm going to tell a sad story. I mean, I was once on the board of directors of a public company that was in the staffing space. We had a billion dollars in revenues. And when I joined the board, the stock went from 43 cents to like six or $7 and I had, and I, I had like $9 million worth of stock, but I didn't do enough research on the management team. And in particular, the chairman or the largest shareholder was this guy named Robert. And then one day I got a call, the board meeting in 20 minutes. And I thought, okay, this is a great company. Maybe I'm about to get rich, like the company's gonna get sold. And we get on the board and John, the CEO, said, I have some news. The bank is on their way over here to throw us out of our offices, take over the company, divide it up, and sell it for nothing to its customers who are also in the same industry. Because Robert, the largest shareholder, owed $90 million to the IRS and that broke the debt agreement with the bank. And so the bank had the right, they didn't have the obligation, they had the right to take over the company. We actually could have paid back the bank, but they decided, nah, we're gonna make much more money if we just screw you guys, which was their right to do. And so in a matter of minutes, I lost $9 million. And I remember I was on the set of the TV show Billions ironically, which is about hedge funds winning and losing money. And, and I was stuck out there in the middle of New Jersey, and I was like about to cry, because I was essentially losing all my money. It was another time I, I went broke. But uh, I survived it, and I decided to stay for the rest of the day. Nobody could even tell I just lost like all my money uh, because I didn't do enough research on this idiot who owed $90 million in taxes and somehow I didn't know that was part of the, the debt agreements. This is what happens when I make decisions on my own. So I wish someone else had made the decision with me. But um, so this is all like kind of investing 101. But the important thing is know the market capitalization, know who else is invested, buy the rumor, sell the news. But look, even though the stock has collapsed, not collapsed, but it's gone down a lot, you have the rule of two. So, yes the news didn't spike it to 300 like maybe you thought it would, but the story is still intact. So the only, when I own a stock, I only own a few stocks. When I own a stock, the only time I sell is what I call a story stock. I haven't heard this term used anywhere else. Many people have what's called a price stop. Like if they buy a stock at 20 and it goes down to 15, they'll sell so they don't lose any more money. But I've tested this out with software It turns out many stocks will hit a price stop and then go up from, they'll go from 20 to 15, they'll sell and then it'll go up to 70 or whatever. So you make more money when you don't have price stops, but you have story stops. So what's a story stop? Well, if suddenly they switched out of the electric vehicles and battery business, I would get out of the stock because I don't know what they're doing now or why did they do this? Or if the CFO suddenly leaves and there's no explanation or the CEO, that's something to be suspicious about, and that's a story stop. If the story changes, that's when you get out. Not because the price changes. Smart investors don't leave a stock just because the price goes down. That is a very stupid strategy. You should always, you should always stick in with, as long as the story's intact, because in the long run, if Lucid truly is making a better car than Tesla, then guess what? Tesla's buying this for $100 a share at some point. Probably won't go by itself, to, to 600, but it will be bought by Tesla or some other car company for for a much higher price than now. I'm not recommending the stock, by the way. I'm going along with your story. If your story uh, plays out, then that's what, what should happen. A-
1: another thing I like about it is that it is a battery company. First off, you know, and I know that what's happening, even with Tesla, they're putting in uh, battery uh, units in some of the grids, our electric grids in the states. Yeah, so I think that that will also with lucid having the battery that it has maybe will generate you know uh something like that
0: yeah so 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 that's the great thing like if electric vehicles don't work out the battery business the battery business by the way has been in an exponentially growing business for at least 30 years and uh, industry i mean and so another good technique what are the industries that are growing exponentially and let me give you an example in 1966, Gordon Moore, who was the CEO of a little tiny little company at that time called Intel, he predicted that computer power would double every 18 months. That means that means it's exponentially growing. I mean, computers now are like a billion times more powerful than the little calculator that powered the Apollo 11 to the moon. I mean, computers can calculate a trillion calculations a second. Back then it was measured in the thousands. So here's a strategy. If you had bought the first 100 computer companies that went public, and let's, let's say you used $1,000 for each one. So you spent $100,000 to buy the first 100 computer companies that went public. Let's say, for just argument's sake, that 98 out of the 100 computer companies went bankrupt almost instantly but two survived, Intel and Microsoft. You would have lost $98,000 out of $100,000 and only be left with the $2,000 $2, that you put into Intel and Microsoft. Well, let's say you held on to them. Because of the exponential growth, guess how much money you would have made on, overall? On that $100,000 you invested, where again, 98 companies went bankrupt, you would have made $3.5 million just because of Intel and Microsoft. The benefit of knowing that is that exponential co- exponentially growing companies are better to invest in than, than stable, mature companies that are only growing a little bit by bit every year. So yes, Exxon, for example, has almost a 5% dividend. And if you like your dividends, it's a fine company, but it's never gonna grow exponentially. Every exponential industry You can't predict which companies will fail and which companies will succeed. but You can predict the industry as a whole will make you an enormous amount of money. If you just spread the money out, very small amounts, don't put money in like this is your only chance to win the lottery and you better take it. You will have many chances. There are going to be many exponential industries over the next 30 years. Uh, Peter Diamandis, uh, who's been on my podcast, wrote a book that not only are, uh, he wrote a book not only about exponentially growing industries, but how these industries are being created faster than ever because of the effects of other exponentially growing industries. So here are some industries that are still growing exponentially. First off computers and related to that, uh, computer storage and big data and AI and robotics and drones, but also in a completely different area, genomics is growing exponentially, batteries is growing exponentially, And there's a bunch of other industries happy to talk about at some other point. Maybe we'll do another IG Live about that. But bet on the exponentially growing industries, but don't put all your bets on one company. That, in a weird way, trying to make a billion dollars or a million dollars on one company is oddly a scarcity way of thinking. You're so afraid you're not gonna have another chance that you put all your money in this one investment hoping to make it big, and that's a very risky way to invest. Better is to have an abundance mindset. So when it comes to investing, an abundance mindset means you're gonna have many opportunities in life. You don't have to take each one. You don't really know which ones are the winners, but you did your research, so you know which industries are growing, and there's gonna be opportunities in the future, so don't worry. Like A lot of people say to me, oh, I missed my chance to start an internet company. I missed my chance to start a biotech company. I'm, uh, you've never missed your chance. If you have an abundance mindset, you'll have, and you write 10 ideas a day and exercise the idea muscle, you'll have more opportunities than you ever thought possible. But the key is not to invest a lot. The way to win the game is to stay in the game. Keeping position sizes small, researching what's exponential, looking at where Warren Buffett and other great investors invest, you know, buying the rumor, selling the news, understanding market capitalization, dealing with the psychology of losing a lot of money by having story stops and using stories to guide your investing. These are all good basic techniques for investing. Now, what's another stock that you own?
1: Well, one of my favorites is IIPR. And um, so that's a REIT. And it's in the marijuana cannabis industry. But uh, they have a great uh, I, I
0: just I've made a lot of money off of that one. So so IPR just to explain, she's invested in it. It's um, and we're not recommending any of these things, by the way. So, uh, uh, uh. Oh hey, Esther, how are you doing? Esther Esther Q on the podcast. She runs. She's a great comedian. Everybody say hi to Esther and go to her comedy shows that she promotes. So good to see you, Esther. So um, IPR robin is just obsessed with marijuana i cannot believe how obsessed she is with marijuana i mean all day long it's like she drinks it smokes it eats it and takes an iv of marijuana she's an addict and they say you can't be addicted to marijuana but i've seen her in action she 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 would give a blowjob in the street for marijuana that's terrible she wouldn't believe me i've tried um but but Oh. Cannabis, because it's le- being legalized everywhere, it was legalizing. This is how we met our first dinner, was you, were, you got nervous because Canada had just legalized cannabis, and mm-hmm. because of by the rumors, sell the news, you didn't understand why all the ca- Canadian cannabis stocks were going down.
1: No, I just didn't know what to do.
0: You didn't know what to fair enough. So, so, but the reality is state by state, marijuana is getting legal, and it's being starting to be used for, for not only recreational use, but medical use. Even further, it's starting to be used for pharmaceutical use, which is slightly different than medical use in that you have to do experiments and have clinical trials. You could never do clinical trials on marijuana because it was illegal. So now they're starting. By the way, have you noticed since COVID, it used to be big pharma was evil. Now we're like waiting online like 20 times around the block to get the, the Pfizer vaccine. When did when did ph- big pharma suddenly become our best friend? Another story. but. She's invested in a company called IIPR, which is a real estate investment trust. It's a REIT. Uh, They have to distribute 95% of their profits as a dividend. That's the nature of a REIT. And uh, they, on all the real estate that they own, they grow, they they sell it or or rent it to people who are growing marijuana. So
1: long-term leases,
0: Long-term leases. So it benefits from, you don't have to be in, they're not in the marijuana industry specifically, but all the people in the marijuana industry use them. So there's two stories. They benefit from the growth of marijuana, but they also benefit from the growth of the real estate, the value of the real estate that they own. And I don't know how many acres they own, perhaps you do, but that's a decent business model. Is it a risky stock? Of course. So that's why even in the cannabis industry, there's a hundred or so stocks. I personally would spread it around. I would also focus on the stocks in the cannabis industry that are owned by great investors and hedge funds. Not that that means anything, as we saw by GameStop, but... Um,
1: it's definitely the most stable one, I think, in that.
0: Yeah, and IIPR has done has done well. Um, mm-hmm. the, again, the only thing I would want to know is who's invested in it and what is the overall market capitalization of it, uh, meaning am I buying it too expensively or am I buying it too cheaply? Because then maybe you could sell, if it's worth a trillion dollars in the market, it's probably not worth that in reality, I would mm-hmm. sell it. but. The other thing is I would ask is how many acres do they have what's the value per acre how, how much of their acre acres are rented um, I do remember vaguely there was a headline s- somebody wrote a short report on it but that doesn't mean anything I would just want to read that report and you know what's the background of the CEO and the management team in managing other REITs were they successful um, you know what's can if, if cannabis suddenly becomes illegal what are the risks? Here's the thing that's very important to know about any activity, whether it's writing, investing, comedy, entrepreneurship, we all know the rewards are there. The rewards are there in investing, otherwise people like Warren Buffett wouldn't exist. He's made all his money over 70 years from investing. He just passed, I just read an article 20 minutes ago, he just passed the $100 billion club. That's a club now, it used to be the billion-dollar club, now it's the $100 billion club. Soon it's gonna be the trillion dollar club maybe that's the club no if, if a club will have me as a member I don't want to join so you can't give me a trillion dollars to join your stupid club trillion dollar club yeah, but but uh, uh, you know so who who is Warren Buffett invested is uh, I forgot I forgot before I made that joke I completely forgot what I was talking about
1: another one that I like is beyond
0: beyond meats because yeah. again a fast-growing Eric Schmidt, the former CEO of Google, when I asked him what are the five biggest trends over the next 10 years, you would think this guy would say drones to kill people or big data to spy on people or AI to create a Terminator to kill people. Like that's what I was thinking he would answer. But he, you know what he said? The biggest trend of the next 10 years, he said, would be plant-based foods. And that's another area that's growing exponentially. Mm-hmm. So you bought Beyond Meats, but furthermore, you like the Beyond Meats hamburger, the Beyond Burger, right. right? Right. Would you prefer a Beyond Burger over a regular hamburger?
1: Uh, sure.
0: And not only that, you like um, the stem cell grown meats, like Memphis right. Meats.
1: Like Memphis Meats, which is a private right now, but there's a company, um, MTTCF, that's going to be going on NASDAQ this week or next week. That's an Israeli company. And they do, they 3D print um, meat from stem cells.
0: So it's like two so stories it's like
1: memphis it's like memphis meats but it's it's a different company and there you can get in so, i always love memphis meats and but it's private
0: so, so what i love about this stock you're talking about in israel that's going public here is there's three stories it's the plant-based food story yeah. because it's not coming from cows or what, chicken or whatever but it's it's, it's a 3d printing story it's, which is also it's excellent not
1: plant-based.
0: i understand but it's but it's non-meat-based t- right. even so, though it is meat yeah and it's genomics, uh, right. it's in the genomics industry because of the, they're taking these stem cells from, I don't know, baby cows or whatever and turning them into uh, uh, real meat. Right. So And then so, you don't
1: have to have slaughter, which is great. You don't, you know, it's just, I think the whole thing is great because uh, then with global warming, you don't have the problem with, you know,
0: cows. So, so I would say like like your best qualities as an investor is you buy the story, not like some PE ratio or some stupid r- ratio or number that other people, th- like there's all these books about Warren Buffett that are so wrong that he made his money by buying stocks that are, have high earnings, but low market. This is all BS. You buy a good story, a good, you're an, when you buy a single share of stock, you own a piece of that company. So you, you, Something you have in. to believe in the company. When I bought into a comedy club, did I believe in that company? Absolutely not. A comedy club is the worst investment on the planet. I should never have done it, but I did like comedy, but it was, I didn't believe in the business, but now they're, they're doing a good job. I shouldn't criticize criticized the business. And, um, uh, so you, you have to believe in the story and you have to be excited about it and it has to be something you're personally interested in and that you think is going to be valuable going forward. So so I think that's a good approach, and it's all—it's almost always, I don't know if you plan it this way, but it's almost always magically in an exponentially growing industry. But I tell you all the time about genomics, you don't really get into it because it's hard to understand genomics. It's hard to get excited about well, a I genomics plan. Well, I love it, plan. and
1: I really think it's going to happen, but I'm putting my money in these things that are happening right now. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Write, like, I could buy it, and like it's going to sit there for several years, but I'd rather... I'd rather take uh, the money and use it right now, Right, really hot, and then I can switch it over to...
0: Because here's the thing about exponentially growing industries, they're valued very tiny, almost close to zero for a long period of time, and then suddenly the exponential stuff kicks in, and they're valued a lot. Intel, in 1966, when Gordon Moore predicted the exponential growth of the computer industry, I think the entire market capitalization of Intel was about $3 million. Of course, now it's like almost a trillion, So uh, that's the benefits of exponential growth. But any industry that's exponential is gonna start up very tiny for a very long time. And then it's like a learning curve. It goes like this and then it starts to plateau. So we talked about learning curves when we talked about the growth of a pandemic back in last April, because pandemics operate very much like the mathematics of a learning curve or an exponentially growing industry. So, and I, I read an article actually that computing power has been increasing every 18 months for about 2,000 years. So like there was the abacus and there was different ways of calculating math and just everything kept improving. So these trends have been trends for a much longer period of time. Like Our understanding of medicine, speaking of genomics, our understanding of medicine has increased exponentially in the past 100 years, 200 years, 1,000 years. You know, it was only in the 1800s that they figured out that washing hands Helped prevent disease. So Ignaz Semmelweis worked in a medical facility, I believe in Germany, in the 1830s. And an unusually high amount of women were dying in childbirth, more than any other medical facility. Why were these people dying in childbirth? It turns out. So he would follow the doctors around, and and, and it turns out they were they had they had older patients also, as well as young women, and the older patients were often dying because they were bleeding them to death and they would go from the morgue straight to delivering a baby in the birth center. And then the woman would die mysteriously. So Ignaz Semmelweis put two and two together and realized, oh, they're not washing their hands. You need to wash your hands. But when you go from touching a dead body to going and delivering a baby, I didn't get gross there. And uh, I could have. and. But here's the thing, it's not good enough. This is why the rule of two is important. It's not good enough to be good, have a skill at something. You need one other component. So Ignaz Zemmelweis, who basically discovered germ theory and figured out this thing about washing hands, uh, he didn't have the rule of two going for him. He didn't know how to persuade people that what he was saying was correct. So he was not a nice person, apparently. Everyone hated him. And so not only did they not believe him, he, they put him in a mental institution and he ultimately died insane and penniless because he was so frustrated nobody believed in him. So if you if you have a skill that's not good enough, you're not gonna be the best in the world. You need to have skills that make you good in an industry like persuasion skills, things like that. This is very important. The rule of two is valuable in everything you do. Um, so, uh, what else was I gonna say about, you know, this is why also it's important. It's, it's not good enough to be just a little bit better than someone else. Like we all, there's a, for young people who might not remember, we used to watch movies on something called VHS tapes, but there was another technology that was better than VHS tapes. It was the Sony Betamax, it was better than VHS, it was higher quality video. But the average person, like I was a kid, I couldn't tell the difference between the, that Betamax was 10% better than VHS Maybe Betamax should have had a faster fast forward or rewind or some other feature that would give it the rule of two, and then I would have preferred Betamax over VHS. Instead, I didn't care, and Betamax was a failure for Sony. By the way, do you know what the most profitable division of Sony America is? This is just some trivia. I just found this out a few months ago. The Game Show Network. They really? play old game shows of Jeopardy and Family Feud, <laughs> like and that is the most profitable division of Sony really? America. Yeah. Wow. A little bit of business yeah. trivia. Um, so I think this is this is this is the uh, uh, m- basic investing masterclass of the day. We'll do more of these, and also I'll, I'll collect um, uh, uh, questions from Jay. Maybe the Jay email you. Can you check mm-hmm. your your phone? He might have emailed you. But um, I also want to mention something about, I wanted to mention something about crypto and the economy, but maybe I'll do that at the next IG Live. But what, so so we'll do another IG Live, I think either tomorrow or Monday, let's assume tomorrow I'll do another IG Live, check on Twitter or my Facebook for the time, and I'll talk about crypto, I'll talk about the economy, I'll talk about the overall stock market. Um, But, uh, and I've been doing investing, in particular, because I think people are, retail now is going back full force for the first time since 1999 into investing. This is an area where I've done it professionally, meaning I invested other people's money for 20 years or more, 21 years now. And I didn't always do such a good job at it. I didn't do a bad job at it. I make my living from private investing now, but uh, maybe it's a different perspective I appreciate Robin's perspective, kind of the retail investor perspective, and I learn from it, and the value of story stocks and telling a good story. And, but I also figure I can correct, it's like a plane that's in the air, and every now and then you have to correct course. So, but, the other thing I wanted to just quickly talk about before this ends, because it's gonna end soon, the countdown has begun, is, um, uh, uh By the way, thank you everyone for tuning in. I really appreciate this, Um, particularly Esther who asked me to go on her comedy show, so thank you. And and Jay as well. But I wrote this book, Skip the Line, don't buy it. I'm not trying to sell it. I'm, I'm saying don't buy it because I hate selling things. But I did say that I wanted to test out the techniques in Skip the Line. I wanted to prove that this works. So these were all techniques I've used personally to skip the line. I've switched careers. Five or six times, maybe because I'm a dilettante, or maybe because I just, my, my interests and passions change, and I believe you should always do what you're passionate about. But I, I stated after the book came out, I will offer, uh, if you write like a review on Amazon or prove that you've read the book, I will set up a 12 person mentorship program called I Will Make You a Millionaire. I originally pitched this as a TV show. But I decided now to do this, it'd be more fun for me, honestly, to do this as a one-on-one mentorship program and not under the, where they're trying to create fights, fist fights in reality TV and love affairs and all this kind of stuff. So I'm I'm kind of more or less randomly picking people to be part of this program, but also I'm going to document everything that we do. So even if you're not one of the 12 people that I select for this, um, A, I will be selecting again every once in a while, maybe six months from now, maybe 12 months from now. And B, I will document everything. So even if you don't benefit, even if you're not in the mentorship program directly, you'll see and hear everything I'm doing to help the other people and how I'm using the techniques of the book Skip the Line to help other people. And so the first, on each one of these IG Lives, I'll announce a different person that I've selected for the mentorship program. And the first person is a guy uh, James Quandahl, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. James, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. It's it's spelled Q U A A N D H A L, something like that. And we've been emailing. Also, I very much appreciate James that you wrote an unbelievably fantastic review on Amazon for the book. Thank you so much. It was it blew me away. I really appreciate it. Uh, and also, I've been I've been using the techniques in this book for a very simple experiment. I used to be very strong at chess. Now, I still am, but when you don't study something for 23 years, you slip. I'm maybe about half as good as I used to be. And so I'm using the techniques and Skip the Line to, there's 23 different techniques in this book. I'm using the techniques to get just as good as I was at chess at my peak in 1997, and even better. And so far, so good. I'm probably right now as good as I was, but now I need to be better, so the hard work starts. But it only took me about three months to use these techniques to get back to where I was at my, at my peak, more or less. And, uh, and James, I noticed him, he was on Twitch. In order to benchmark my progress, I streamed myself playing chess on Twitch every couple of, sometimes every day, sometimes every couple of days. Today I solved problems on Twitch. I tried, I, I tried to solve a, as many problems as I could in three minutes. I solved 35 problems in, in three minutes. And uh, James has been providing some valuable comments on, on Twitch as well as, as doing a review. So, James, we'll start the mentorship off next week. I'm looking forward to, to talking with you about it. Uh, this is probably the first time you're, you're hearing that you're part of this. So you could also say, no, maybe you're, you're, maybe you're going to say, screw that. I'm not going to be in your mentorship program. I got more important things going on. So that's fine. You could say that. But. Um, Tomorrow or whenever we do this IG Live again, I'll talk a little bit more about what's happening in the news. We just passed a stimulus bill. Uh, By the way, I saw a quote uh, right before the election on November 4th, on November 3rd, Joe Biden said, he tweeted, everybody just stay in line, please. No, skip the line. And so I'll talk a little bit more about how I announced I'm running for president, not that I announced, I went to the Federal Elections Commission's website FEC.gov, and I filled out some paperwork, and you all should do this, too. I encourage you all to do this. I, and now I I filed to run for president of the United States in 2024. I'm probably not serious about it, but it makes me think about the issues in a different way, and it, may, and it allows me to state how I feel about the political system, which is that we need more than two parties instead of just choosing between two 70-year-old alleged rapists. Like, it's not good enough to just vote for the lesser of two evils. You got to vote for for something good. One more piece of trivia. Everybody kept telling me, I didn't vote this election. And everyone kept telling me, you don't have a right to speak if you don't vote. Well, now I have a right because I'm running for president. But the other thing is, (laughs) if people would say to me, this is the most important election ever. So I went on newspapers.com, which is a search engine for newspapers dating back 300 years. And I searched for the phrase most important election ever. It turns out actually 1800, the year 1800, it was John Adams versus Thomas Jefferson. That was the most important election ever. And 1804, 1808, 1812, 1816, 1820, 24, 30, all the way through 1964, 1968, 1980, 1984, 1992. Every single election has been the most important election ever. There's a bubble of most important elections ever. And which reminds me, somebody just asked, doesn't this stock market seem like a bubble? I will address that tomorrow because the answer is no. And I'll explain why very specifically what's happening. So thanks so much for tuning into this IG live. This is gonna be put up on the podcast as quickly as possible as well. Tomorrow I'll spend a little bit more time, we'll both spend a little bit more time answering questions, including the types of things we argue about, I know everyone's interested in that. And thanks so much for tuning into the IG live. Jay, I hope you've been recording this because I forgot to. And see you all (laughs) tomorrow or the next day. Thanks very much. Bye.
2: (laughs) The Living Room is where you make life's most beautiful memories.